Welcome back to Author Conversations, presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster. This is the last podcast of the year, and we've had quite a few episodes so far. You may have noticed that I've not been doing the midweek shows last week or this week, and I probably won't do it for the rest of the year, and that's just due to the time crunch here at the end of the year. And I hope to start doing them again next year. And this episode is all about Christmas and nostalgia. And one of our authors is all about nostalgia. His name is Tim Hollis, and he's written 17 books with us, and number 18 is coming out next year. Some of his books include Lost Attractions of Alabama, Sea Rock City, Stuckey's, The Land of Oz, Pizzas, Six Flags Over Georgia, Stone Mountain Park, and Christmas in Birmingham. His new book, Lost Attractions of the Smoky Mountains, will publish on April 13, 2020. Tim is also a collector of all things nostalgia and has a museum attached to his home in Alabama. Who better to talk to about Christmas of old and how things were for a lot of us growing up? Tim, thanks for joining me. I'd already recorded our introduction and talked about all the books you've done with us and how you okay. uh, you, you, had, you know basically have a museum attached to your house. And, right, right. And you basically are our king of nostalgia. And uh, <laughs> talked a little bit about how, because we spent some time together in 2016 up at a little place called Oz in That's Beach right. Mountain, North yep. Carolina. And uh, that was a theme park back in the 1970s. In early eighties, right? Yeah, it lasted from nineteen seventy to nineteen eighty. Yeah, they still open it up. Are they still opening it in the summers too, or just in the fall? They now? are. It's kind of interesting, but the uh, the year after you and I were there, uh, they changed management companies. the uh, The lady who had been managing it for so long, uh, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but it was. It was taken over by another management company, more or less made up of of fans of the park, I guess you'd say. And um, you know they have they have expanded. They still do the the autumn weekends. I think they actually do more than one weekend in the fall, but then they do several in the summer as well. So uh, they they still have to work around the fact that it's in the middle of a of a very affluent neighborhood where people, you know, the people who live there don't necessarily want people tramping through their yards all the time, but apparently they have a pretty good relationship with the folks that live there. Yeah, they had, I mean, I thought they handled at least that one weekend pretty well because they had a nice parking area and buses that brought them up to the park because it's in the middle of, in the wintertime, it's a ski resort. That's right. And I had never, I've been to conventions, sci-fi conventions and things like that before, but I had never seen dedicated fans to a theme park before that had dressed up like characters. I mean, there were people That's dressed right. like all kinds of characters that I didn't even realize were in the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, what I thought was so funny is that, you know, watching the people coming, you know, going on duty and coming off duty and you'd see the the scarecrow and the wicked witch walking hand in hand on their way out of the park, and another scarecrow and a wicked witch passing them on the way in. Yeah, <laughs> they had, there was apparently was a relationship that I didn't realize existed between the two. Very bizarre, yeah, yeah. But uh, something must have happened to that relationship to make her want to set him on fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something behind the scenes that we did not yep. see coming. Yep. 
So let's get talking about Christmas because one of your books that you know made me think about talking to you was Christmas in Birmingham, and it wasn't as prevalent when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties. Uh, but I do remember yeah, of course. <laughs> going to, you know, Christmas was kind of an event. It wasn't just you know everybody talks about the hassle of shopping and everything, but it was an event going to the department stores and everything. And Tim, when I grow, you know, now I see my nieces and nephews; they open a gift on Christmas morning, and then thirty minutes later. They're on a tablet playing on an app that they've been playing on all year long. And it wasn't that way when I grew up on Christmas morning. And I don't think it was that way. I know, you know, it wasn't that way when you grew up. We didn't have tablets. And I also remember working through a catalog and you picked out presents you wanted Santa to bring you. Or, you know, you would walk through a store and you might say something, you know, and your mom and dad would make a mental check to Mm -hmm. tell Santa Claus Mm -hmm. about it. You know, and Christmas was magical. And, you know, it's not this whole consumerism thing, but it was... It was an event. Going to the store was an event. Going out shopping, you know, going to pick something out for your mom or going with your going with yeah. your mom to pick out something for your dad was something. Well, it's it, it's like you said. It's it was more of a of a tactile experience back then, I guess you'd say, uh, rather than uh, experiencing everything on a you know on a TV screen or on a, uh, you know, a computer screen, which didn't exist. I mean, when I was a kid, if someone said a tablet, they were talking about Alka-Seltzer. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it definitely was different back in those days. Even I've, I've, I've told kids and teenagers about the fact that, um, of course there were, there were three of the animated TV specials that you absolutely had to see. Uh, that was Charlie Brown, The Grinch, and Rudolph. Now, all the rest of them were great, too, but those were the three that if you didn't see those, you'd missed about half the Christmas season. And, of mm-hmm. course, back then, you had to see them during the time slot that one of the networks showed them or you were out of luck until the next year. Um, I remember when the, um, when the animated Frosty the Snowman special came on for the first time, which I think was 50 years ago this, this month. And, um, it was brand new. Oh, I wanted to see Frosty the Snowman. And for some reason, my parents decided that they had to go shopping that particular night at one of the big, big discount stores in Birmingham. And I remember you know, reluctantly having to go along with them and peeking at the TV department where Frosty was playing on the TV screens. <laughs> you know, I could just I could just see it from a distance, and then the next day at school, all the kids were were talking about it and you know repeating the dialogue and all. And I had to wait until 1970 to see it for the first time. Yeah, saying spoiler alert wasn't exactly a thing. Uh, back then, but you know, two things. One thing, a tablet is. You know, I want everybody to understand we aren't we aren't downing tablets because you know our books are on tablets now for people to read. You know, your books are on tablets. <laughs> well, I was going to say you can down Alka Seltzer tablets, but that's yes. another story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's pretty good. You know, tablets are a good thing. We're just saying you know take some time out to you know appreciate those around you and appreciate the you know Christmas spirit. You know, make sure you take time to do that. But the second thing I wanted to bring up, when you brought up Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph and, uh, uh, and you know, watching these Christmas specials, I remember when I was looking through one of your other books about television in Birmingham, you actually mentioned in those books about how 
Um, Birmingham kind of had a different schedule than the rest of the country when it came to those Christmas specials. <laughs> yeah, up until, uh, well, up until about 1970 or so, Birmingham had the, the uh, I wouldn't say it's a unique situation, but it was... Uh, Certainly, you wouldn't find it today, but Birmingham had only two TV stations for the three TV networks. And uh, one one station was totally devoted to ABC programming, and the other station split the NBC and CBS programming. Uh, so they would do that in any time slot by deciding which network to air live and then whatever they were not airing, uh, they would either record it on early videotape and show it later, or we just wouldn't see it at all. And um, Now, eventually, we got a third a UHF station, which you could only pick up if you actually lived right in town, which we didn't, but um, it, it was an independent station that got the, the leftovers. Uh, if there was a program that, uh, that the station chose not to run at all, either live or delayed, uh, it could air on that other station. But, you know, I well remember seeing network promos that would say, you know, see a Charlie Brown Christmas Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, and we wouldn't see it Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. We might see it on Sunday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh. So it did, uh, it did make it a little challenging to, uh, to to keep up with when things were supposed to be on. I guess that's that's why you always heard the tagline, check your local listings. <laughs> yeah. You don't have that now. You just have, you know, either TiVo it or you can catch it on Hulu or something of, of that nature now. But it was a different thing back then. And even, you know, in my time period growing up in the 80s and early 90s, we didn't record that on a VCR when Rudolph came on because it was more special, especially, you know, to hear Linus's speech once a year. Right. It's more special if you sat down and you watched it. And it was sad when it, when those shows were over because that was your one time a year to see it. Oh, yeah, and you wouldn't see them for another year. <laughs> yeah, and it's like you didn't see your friends. You got to see them, you know, starting with, especially with the Peanuts, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and that's it. You didn't see them oh, yeah. until the next yeah. Halloween. And then you, because that was kind of, you know, the start of, hey, fall's here, and then you're going to Thanksgiving, and then into the holidays. Mm -hmm. Oh, when sure. the Peanuts started yeah. up. And of course, back then, I mean, there were even there were even uh, commercials that you look forward to seeing every year, like the uh, you know the Coca Cola "I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing" commercial, uh, and you know ones like that. the The commercials were almost like little miniature Christmas specials of their own. Uh, there was the stop motion animated Santa Claus riding the Norelco Razor over the snow, and uh, all of those kind of things are just, um, you know, the, the commercials were a part of the season, too. Well, Tim, so, I mean, now, and I know, you know, our company's kind of guilty of it, too, because we have to make sure stock gets into stores, you know, for people to shop for the holidays. But I know we don't start pushing Christmas in July like it seems some stores do. <laughs> um, <laughs> Especially Hobby Lobby. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, can be pretty bad about that. Uh, no offense to any other stores or out there or anything. Um, I understand that you have to put stuff out for, especially decorating stores, for people to have stuff for the holidays. You know, I get mm -hmm. that and everything. 
And I know that I have one coworker who used to like to decorate really early, and I don't think she listens too much, but if she does, I'll never hear the end of it for bringing it up. And thank God she didn't do that this year because <laughs> it used to drive me nuts when it would be, wouldn't even be Thanksgiving and she would have the office decorated for Christmas. But uh, it just drove me nuts, and she used to just put the most sparkly, you know, things in my office cube, and I couldn't stand it. Thankfully, she didn't do that this year either. Um, one but, year, one year, I actually had the uh, the the indoor Christmas decorations up on Halloween uh, just to just to get a rise out of the trick or treaters <laughs> in the door. My dad used I, to I decorate. Usually, that way. I used to I used to do an enormous. Uh, display in our yard. It actually stretched over two different yards. And these were the old, uh, you know, way before the inflatable stuff, these were the old uh, lighted plastic blow mold decorations. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, the Santas and the snowmen and the reindeer and the nativity scene and all of that. And um, it it grew to the point that I would have to start hauling that stuff out in the yard, usually two Saturdays before Thanksgiving. Uh, and then it would take another weekend just to get the electrical cords run to everything, which was, well, see, that's okay, I mean, that was a day's job in itself, just getting it all hooked up. And, um, unfortunately I don't do that anymore. I got too old and worn out to, to do that kind of work. But fortunately at the same time, the decorations got kind of old and worn out. <laughs> so, and of course that stuff, those, those plastic blow molds are so, so collectible and so expensive on the antique market now that literally I could not put that stuff out in the yard and then go off and leave it during the day. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. Would, those reindeer would run off and it wouldn't be with Rudolph leading them either. I don't think. No, but that let reason I was bringing up when you know how early Christmas starts now. When you know back when you were growing up, when did Christmas? When did the Christmas season start? for you know kids growing up back then well i think it's like you were talking about it was it was a big deal to see santa claus arrive at the end of the macy's parade uh generally to my in my recollection that was the first time that you would see santa claus any year uh my recollection can't always be correct though because i have found uh, advertisements from the, you know, in researching Christmas in Birmingham, there were years when, like, November the 9th, the stores were already advertising for the kids to come in and see Santa Claus. So, apparently, my memory of him introducing, being introduced in the Macy's Parade wasn't always correct. Maybe we just didn't go to the stores to see him before then. Um but um, I think it's interesting. One of those one of those articles that I quoted in that Christmas in Birmingham book, where uh, I think it was back in the early '40s when some parents started a campaign to have just one Santa Claus for the city. Not every store have their own Santa Claus. They were getting tired of you know their kids asking why doesn't Santa Claus remember them when he sees them at the next store. And of course, that didn't that didn't get much traction, but it did cause some interesting comments from uh, if you can if you can imagine parents in the early 1940s would have grown up like in the in the teens and twenties, and there was a lady who said that you know when she was a kid that you you 
didn't, you never really saw Santa Claus at all. You heard about him and, you know, that he was going to be around on Christmas Eve, but you never saw him in person. So that was, you know, that was a, a, a later development, I guess, a, uh, a development of the 30s and the 40s. So I thought that was kind of interesting that uh, there, was a, there was a time that Santa Claus was talked about more than he was actually seen. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, speaking of, like, department store Santa Claus and things, like, the store displays were a big deal back then, right? Oh, the yeah, stores. yeah. The one, the one that meant the most to me, and I found out, of course, that there were other cities that did much the same thing. But one of the stores here in Birmingham had a big room the store's auditorium the rest of the year, they would use it for fa- uh, fashion shows and, and special sales and things like that. But around the end of October, they would close it off and uh, they would turn it into the Enchanted Forest, which was actually a walkthrough display with a trail that went through the snow and the and the frosty trees. And they had all these animated animals and the elves making toys and, and things like that. And it was just a magical, it was a really magical thing to see. Um, and that I was just absolutely fascinated with that. And um, when I was nine years old, I wrote a letter to the store asking them questions about its history. Like, you know, when did it start and, and who comes up with these ideas and so forth. And they, um, they gave the letter to the, the store's display director, a fellow named Jim Luker, And uh, he answered me, and we kept up a correspondence until uh, he just he just died earlier this year. Hmm. And uh, back, uh, well, I think it was in in March of 2018. I paid a visit to him. By then, he was living in South Carolina. He had had a bunch of strokes, and he was blind, and he could barely talk. But his wife told me that it would mean so much to him if I came to visit him that. I said, I will be there as soon as I can get in the car. And, uh, you know, we had a great visit. But all those years, he was the one that uh, was responsible for, for the Enchanted Forest. And uh, I was able to spread the word uh, about him, and a lot of people were able to uh, share their memories of that. I think I think that by the time he died, he realized that he had really made Christmas special for a lot of kids in this area. Well, that's all. That's that's quite a testament to his work. And- yeah, yeah. Here's and it's kind of funny, but uh, several years ago, uh, when he was still able to talk on the phone, there was a newspaper writer doing an article about Christmas in Birmingham, and I put them in touch with him as a good source of information. And he told that reporter something that he had never told me in all the years that we had been corresponding. He told the reporter that each year. When I would, you know, when I was a kid and I would see the Enchanted Forest, I would write him, uh, I would write him a, I guess you'd say a sort of critique of it. I would say, you know, boy, I really like the way you did this. I thought you were getting a little off track with this, blah, that, and the other thing. And he told the reporter that he would share those letters with his staff and he would say, now here's somebody that knows what they're talking about. I want you to take these letters and and do what he says. I didn't. I didn't realize that as a kid, I was actually directing what was happening. <laughs> but um, I knew that a lot of the things I suggested would be done the next year. I just didn't put the two of them together. 
until he told that to that reporter. So I guess I had more, I was wielding more power as a kid than I knew I was. Wow. That is, that's pretty (laughs) neat. That's, and it's crazy how you found out about it too. Oh yeah. Like I said, he never told me that at all. Maybe he thought he did, but, uh, but I had never known that until he told the reporter, but, um, Oh, it was, um, of course, Christmas at school, that was another thing to look forward to. Oh, yeah. uh, the whole the whole time between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I mean, you practically, there was practically no use in having classes at all because everyone's, everyone's mind was somewhere else, you know. Especially if you had and, sugar uh, coming in. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, of course, when I was in, um, when I was in high school, I, uh, of course, I had been, I had been writing since I was seven years old, so by the time I was in high school, I wrote a couple of a couple of Christmas plays that we uh, performed. I think the best one was the one. I, it was my senior year, and um, when it came time to to plan the Christmas play, uh, I was sort of kicking ideas around with some people, and someone suggested all of those animated specials that we were talking about that they had all been based on Christmas songs like Rudolph and Frosty and Santa Claus is coming to town. So they said, why don't you find a song that hasn't been turned into a Christmas story yet? Well, that was, that was kind of a challenge, (laughs) but there was, there was a song that the, um, the school choir performed each year. It is so obscure. I have found a listing for the song in the copyright office records, but I've never been able to find a copy of the sheet music it was the name of the song was Griselda the Reindeer Nobody Knows, and wow. um, you know with just using that uh, as a basis, I came up with this story about this reindeer named Griselda, and she was she was depressed because everyone at the North Pole ignored her in favor of all these other characters who had become so famous, and um, in the play I was Rudolph. Uh, her boyfriend, who, uh, of course, had gotten very conceited from all of those songs and TV shows he had been in. So I think I played, I think I played Rudolph much like, uh, Snagglepuss, a, uh, you know, like a, a very ham actor type thing with, who's to Murgatroyd Griselda? We gotta find a way to make you popular, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, you could tell that it was that it was the late seventies because what after all of Rudolph's attempts to make her famous fail, uh, you know, in, in various painful ways, uh, he takes her to the North Pole disco, and it turns out that she's a terrific disco dancer, and you know, so everyone everyone's cheering and applauding for her and ignoring Rudolph. Then you know that was the way it ended. So, um, yeah, people. People who think that I only write one kind of material don't know much about me. <laughs> no, I mean you're you're a man of many talents. <laughs> Maybe we need to include that in your next book, but it won't be your next book because we are all looking forward to April because Lost Attractions of the Smoky Mountains will be out. We're looking forward That's to that right. one too. Well, Tim, I've kept you on a little bit longer than I said I would. Before I let you go, can you tell me a couple of your favorite Christmas presents you had growing up? Oh well, I I probably still have them in the museum, <laughs> at least if not the same objects, at least replacements for them. But um, 
Oh, I'm still I'm still looking to replace my uh, Hasbro talking Snow White telephone that came with the little records where you could talk to Snow White and all the dwarfs. I don't know what happened. If you if you rang up Dopey since he didn't talk, I guess some of the one of the other dwarves had to say something for him. But uh, that was that was one that I always enjoyed playing with until some other kids broke it during one of my birthday parties. <laughs> mm-hmm. Birthdays would be another whole topic we could cover for thirty minutes. But uh, but anyway, I was lucky uh, up until I was about seven or eight years old. My dad kept a journal where he listed everything I got for every Christmas. So uh, it's nice to have that written down where I don't have to depend on my own memory. Thanks again to Tim, and thanks to you for joining us, and thanks for listening this year. And if this is your first time listening, remember you can go back on our podcast page at Podbean or wherever you listen and listen to our past episodes. I hope you all have a great holiday season. Next year, we will be back with brand new episodes, and I am happy to announce we'll have a new theme song written by two good friends of mine. Remember, there is still time to give the gift of local history by visiting your local bookstore and asking for books from Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. Or visit our website at arcadiapublishing.com. Thanks, and I will talk to you again in the new year.